in Acts chapter 12. And as I had mentioned way early on the beginning of our series in Acts, it's a very long book, and it's very unique because it teaches a lot of history. There's a lot of good stories. We meet a lot of interesting characters. So it's necessary to kind of bite off bigger chunks than we might going through a smaller book. So this morning, we're actually going to cover all of Acts 12. All right, can we do it? I think we can. Well, and so I'm going to read it in just a minute. It'll be up on the screen for you, but it's in Acts chapter 12. And um, we're going to be uh, talking about a few things. You'll kind of see as this story unfolds, it's a very interesting chapter in all of Scripture, but you'll see as the, uh, as the story unfolds, uh, you're going to see that uh, there's some, uh, there's, this is sort of a drama, a little bit of a comedy thrown in there. It's an action, so it's sort of all that. You know when you're searching for a movie to watch and you're looking, should it be action-adventure, maybe drama, maybe comedy? What do I feel like? This has sort of got everything, all right? And so this is Acts chapter 12, and uh, we normally read from the ESV version, but whatever you have, you'll be able to follow along. It'll be up on the screen. And uh, you're going to see that the predominant story here is that Peter is imprisoned. It's part of persecution, and then he has miraculously... Uh, freed from prison. That's sort of the the main part of the story. But here we go, Acts chapter 12. I'll read it, and then we're going to highlight five specific things from Acts chapter 12 that we want to make sure that we notice before, uh, before we leave here today. Acts 12 says this, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him dress yourself and put on your sandals and he did so and he said to him wrap your cloak around you and follow me and he went out and he followed him he did not know what was being done by the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision when they had passed the first and the second guard they came to the iron gate leading to the city it opened for them of its own accord And when they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. 
And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the peoples were shouting, The voice of God and not of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So there's a lot happening here, right? And I forgot to add to the action and the drama and the comedy. There's also also a bit of a horror film in here because we see what happens to Herod. (laughs) I forgot to add that. And so it's not going to be our focus about how he was eaten with worms, so don't worry. But um, we'll we'll kind of add that in later and, and see how that fits into the story. But there is a lot in here, and there's also history. There's also a lot of history that goes on. We even see it at the end where where Luke, who's the writer of Acts, he tells us what happens to this particular Herod, Herod Agrippa. That's actually who we're talking about here. Herod Agrippa was the king that we were talking about. And so what's happening is there is persecution of the church again. So it's important to kind of understand what was happening in the story. Hopefully you picked up on it. But we had been talking about, if you remember recently from, from last week, we were talking about the church in Antioch, how the, the, the gospel came to the Gentiles. And now this is the first Gentile church in Antioch. Remember that? And so Luke is telling the story in Acts, recounting everything that happened with the early church. But he kind of then moves back away from the gospel going to the Gentiles. And he goes back to talk about the church in Jerusalem, just to kind of tell us one more story about Peter. Because what's going to happen, and this is important to understand in the context of it all, starting next week, and we go to Acts 13, and then all the way to the end, the rest of this book, the rest of Luke's account of the early church is all about the Apostle Paul and his many missionary journeys. So that is going to be exciting. We're going to get to to see all what happened with Paul and his missionary journeys But before Luke brings us there, which we'll start with next week, he wants to tell us one more story about Peter. I think it's important because we have to remember here what was going on is that, remember, the gospel was spreading. 
And it was spreading like wildfire, and it was now going to the Gentiles, and that was a brand new thing. And so remember, the whole title of our series in Acts is The Unstoppable Mission of the Church, or The Church on Mission. Because we're going to see it again here today in Acts chapter 12, that nothing can stop the progression of the gospel. And nothing can stop it when God is in control. Amen? So if He wants His church to move forward, if He wants the gospel to go out, it will happen. And He's using His men and women to do that. And so Luke, as he's telling the story in Acts, right, as we're following along week after week, just know that here is sort of, he goes back to the church in Jerusalem and says, let me tell you one more story about Peter. And it was significant for many reasons. We're going to look at five specific things, but, and then kind of focus on one. But what was happening was there was persecution again. So we know that that was happening. But King Herod, at the time, he renewed very vehemently persecution against the young church and it was happening there in in jerusalem see king herod what we know from history is that his family and his people before him his father and his father's fathers they were hated by the jews and so king herod actually this herod he was trying to ingratiate himself with the jewish people so he is actually known in history as one who found favor with the jewish people and so he wanted to make sure that, that they liked him. It was part of, you know, a part of who he was and his character. And so we know actually from history that he actually, um, this King Herod, he, um, he observed a lot of the Jewish rituals and traditions and holidays. And, and um, <clears throat> what was happening was um, he recognized that when he started to persecute the church again, which is now expanding... Remember, they thought, you know, originally it was just part of the, uh, the uh, they thought it was like a sect of the Jewish people, but now it's expanding, it's its very own thing. So he says, let me put some pressure on them. And he saw that the Jews liked that. You see that? In verse 2 it says, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, then he proceeded to arrest Peter. So he saw they liked it, and he said, well, I'm going to keep going with this persecution. So he killed James, which is a huge loss to the church. But then he imprisons Peter. So he arrests Peter and puts him into prison. And that kind of sets us up for what's about to happen. And so the story goes that Peter is put in prison. And the night, the very night before he's going to be tried and probably tortured and killed, what happens? God sends an angel and miraculously he frees Peter from prison. It's a very popular story in Scripture. Many of you have probably read it or know it. And so he frees Peter from prison by sending an angel. And it's amazing how it happened, and we're going to kind of look at that in detail a bit. But then there's sort of this funny little story, like why did God even put that in there? And I'll kind of share my thoughts about why in a few minutes, but there's this funny story about how Peter is then freed from prison. It was miraculous, right? And did you, real, did you pick up on the fact that the church was praying for him? Did you notice that? They were at this house, at this, this lady Mary, they were at her house, and they were all praying. So the church was praying just as Peter was being freed from prison. Coincidence? Nope. Right? And so then Peter is freed, so then he goes to Mary's house, and he knew that there'd be people there praying. It was sort of where the house church met, right? They didn't have church buildings back then like we do now so they met in people's houses 
And so Mary evidently had a big house because there was sort of an outer court because Peter knocked on the door. And then they had a, a servant girl named Rhoda, probably a young girl, right? She comes up to the, to the outer door before she even answers the door. And Peter's knocking, hey, it's me, Peter. She hears it's Peter's voice without even opening the door. She runs back into the house and says, hey, it's, it's Peter. And they're just like, ah, you're crazy. She probably had a reputation Maybe for, you know, embellishing the truth a little bit. So she, they're like, no, it couldn't be. You're crazy. It's exactly what they said. She keeps saying, no, no, no. And they think, oh, it's, maybe it's his angel. Cause they actually thought, they believed, the Jews at the time believed in guardian angels. So they believed that an angel might sort of take the, uh, take, take upon itself the look of the person. So they're like, no, it's not Peter. And why was that? Cause they thought Peter was in prison. See, they were praying for Peter, and then Peter shows up. So what's funny is that while Rhoda is saying, no, it's him, and they're just like, ah, oh, you're crazy, Peter's standing outside, knocking on the door. Hello? Hello? Like Rhoda forgot to let him in, right? So finally, when they go and they let him in, they can't believe it. It says they're all amazed. They're in awe. They're amazed that, yes, it is Peter. So he comes in and he quiets them down and he tells them what happened. It's really a cool story about how God does that. And then what happens is they're praying, and the answer to their prayer comes while they're still praying. Isn't that amazing? But they didn't recognize it. We'll get back to that in a second. So that's the story of what happens there. And then at the end of the chapter, we see that Luke puts in there a few verses about what actually happened to Herod. So we know what happened. So Herod, being the king, know that he was persecuting He got full of himself. And so he went to sort of settle a dispute in this different area. He went to Caesarea, and he kind of settled there for a bit. And he was settling a dispute, and he put on his royal robes and, you know, puffed up his chest. And all the people were trying to find favor with him because they needed the food from his country, right? Because they didn't have food. Remember we talked last week about a famine coming? The prophet said there's a famine coming. It's probably what was happening and so what they're doing is they're saying this, they're saying in verse 22, a voice of God, not of man. They're calling King Herod a God. And he didn't stop him. So what happens is, verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Again, God sends an angel to do what he wanted to happen. Strikes down this Herod because he did not give God the glory. You should probably highlight that in your Bibles. Right? Why was it? Why was it that he he reached this kind of end because he did not give God the glory? And it said that he died, and it explains in detail how it happened. But look at verse twenty four. But the word of God increased and multiplied. That's the first thing I want us to notice just very quickly. Even if there is persecution of the church, God will have his way. Is that true? That's the kind of God that we serve. So the whole book of Acts, Luke is, is like, you can picture him writing, and he's like, this is awesome. Like, no matter what people try to do, the gospel is moving forward, and God's church is growing. And I think we can apply that not only to ourselves, but to our church, to local churches. No matter what our enemy tries to do, we will continue to grow if we stay obedient to him and we give him the glory remembering what happened with herod
So even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, God will continue to be on the move. So we need to remember that. What a great testimony it is and should be encouraging for us. That that could be a whole sermon series in and of itself about persecution. I mean, we probably don't feel persecution in our lives for our faith the way that many do around the world, right? And we can be thankful for that. It's okay to thank God for that. But there are elements and and ways that we do face persecution for standing up for our faith. So to some degree, we can certainly understand that. But we should have hope and know that even in the midst of persecution, um, God's plan will still prevail. So the second thing is this. The second thing is this, that, you know, um, even though, even though there was persecution, right, there needed to be trust in the Lord. Because what we see happening here was, in verse 6, after we see this persecution happening, hopefully you've picked up on this, did you see what Peter was doing? on the night before he knew he was going to be killed? What did it say he was doing in verse 6? He was sleeping. He was sleeping. So he had been arrested. He knew what just happened with James, his brother in the Lord. He knew it was soon. It's going to be the next morning. It says he was chained by all these guards. These four squads, each squad probably had four guards. There were 16 guards assigned to him, to one person. And the night before he's about to be killed, he's fast asleep. That is trust, isn't it? Now, I know many of us can understand what it's like to not be able to sleep. From time to time, that happens. Some of us struggle with it more than others where we just can't sleep well at night. We get a restless night's sleep. You know, we just can't sleep. Too much in your mind. There's anxiety. There's things going on, stress, whatever it might be. Maybe you don't even know. But here is Peter in the midst of a trial, maybe facing death, and he's fast asleep. That is a picture of trust. Does it mean that it's that easy? No, it's not. But it reminds us that even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of suffering, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, no matter what it is, we can have that deep of a trust in God We can ask Him even for a good night's sleep in the midst of all that. If you struggle with that, I've struggled with that, pray. Maybe you fall asleep praying. Maybe you have no problem sleeping and you fall asleep praying anyway. Maybe you do that. But you know, you you, you recount Scripture or you pray and asking God just for some peace to wash over you that you might just get some rest. Some rest from what's going on in your mind and all the things that are racing through your mind that you'd be able to get some rest. And so we see Peter was sleeping even as he was chained to the soldiers. A very real reminder of what was about to happen and the position he was in. Peter was sleeping. So that second thing is we need to know that we can trust God in any situation. It's a very simple thing to say. But if you really boil down the Christian faith and our walk with the Lord, doesn't it come come down to trust and obedience? Like the great hymn, Trust and Obey, right? There's no other way. And so it really comes down to trust. God is just simply asking that we trust Him. It's as if He's telling Peter, I know it looks bad. Get a good night's sleep. Fall asleep. I'll take care of it. 
So Peter was able to trust in the Lord. But even before we get to what happens, also notice what was going on at the same time. While Peter was sleeping and trusting in the Lord, even though his death was imminent. What was going on in Mary's house? There was a large group of people, the church, were gathered, and what were they doing? They were praying. They were praying. So even in the midst of struggle and worry and uncertainty, like Peter's beloved brothers and sisters, who he walked together with and were, were, was living the life for Jesus with, they were praying. They got together and they sensed that there was something going on. They knew that Peter was imprisoned. And what did they do? They prayed. They got together and they had a big prayer meeting. Right? Because there was a need. There was a pressing need and they said, let's pray. How often do we do that? Now as a church, we have times that we pray. Every Wednesday night we have a prayer gathering. We pray here on Sundays. Basically, we probably pray every time we get together, no matter what it is. But we pray together because we recognize here at Trinity the importance and the power of prayer. See, prayer is a very important tool for God's church. We need to recognize that. I mean, do you, do you see what is actually happening when you pray? Do you, do you understand that you're talking to a holy, righteous, and perfect God. But we also recognize the only reason that we can talk to God, the one who created the universe, the one who created us, it's all because of Christ. Am I right? It's all because of Christ. We're going to remember that before we leave here today with the Lord's table. Remembering Christ's death on the cross. But it was at that moment when he died on the cross and gave up his last breath, Scripture says, that the veil, the curtain separating us from God and the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, meaning God is the one that did it. And then what signifies there is that we have direct access to the God of the universe, that we can pray and talk to him and have this intimate relationship with him which we can't even fathom, but it's all because of the work of Christ on the cross. So here is the church recognizing there is power in prayer, and they were praying. But the third thing I want to I show you, and we're going to kind of just focus on prayer for a few minutes, but not only is there power in prayer, but we should pray with expectation, shouldn't we? I mean, just think about, and of course I'm not asking you to share out loud, but just think about your own prayer life. What does it look like when you pray? When you pray, do you kind of ask God, saying, well, God, if you want to, and I know you can, maybe it's not the right thing, and so I'll just leave it up to you, but thanks for the time, and you know. I mean, how is it that you pray? Do you pray to God recognizing that, yes, you're in the presence of a holy and righteous and perfect God, but knowing that it's all because of Christ that you're able to do that. But when you pray, do you realize who it is you're talking to and what is happening at that moment? That we have a heavenly Father. He's also called our heavenly Father, and we're His children. And just as earthly fathers want to hear from their children and want to kind of bring them up on their knee and say, what's going on and how can I help you? Like, that is what 
our Heavenly Father wants to do with us. So we can pray to God with expectation. And I'm not saying that He's going to answer every prayer the way that He, the way that we want Him to, right? Of course not. Because look at what happened with James. Do you think James prayed? I would guess that the church is praying for him too. It doesn't say it, but Herod killed James. So, so God did not choose to rescue James. That's an important point. Because don't we also come to God and say, God, why did this person get their prayer answered, but I didn't? How come this thing I've been praying for for years, it hasn't happened yet, God? Why is that? Well, we know ultimately He's God and we're not. So perhaps it's not a timing. So maybe it's just not yet. Maybe it is a firm no. Maybe you won't see the fruition of your prayer. Maybe it will be answered, but you won't know it. See, we have to understand that God chooses what He will do. God is the one who is sovereign, right? We're not going to change God's mind. He is not at our beck and call, right? We have to come to God according to His standards and who He is. And not according to our our own wants and needs. And so, I'm sure James prayed. But God in His ultimate wisdom and sovereignty chose not to save James. And James was not rescued from prison. And he was killed. But yet Peter prayed. I'm sure he did. And the church was praying for him as well. And God rescued him. Maybe James's time was up. Maybe God was done using James in the foundation of the church. And it was time for him to go home with the Lord. So we have to remember that when we pray. Yes, it's a sobering thought, but it should give us freedom, I think, when we pray to remember at the end of our prayers, somehow we recognize, God, Your will, not my will, be done. Do you remember our Lord Jesus praying a similar prayer? Right. And so that's an important point to note. That James met his death, but, but God in his wisdom chose to save and rescue Peter. But also what happens is there's a reason for the prayer, right? Because of the persecution, there's power. And he's being patient by waiting and trusting. But we do know that God provides. God is the one who provides. So there is provision that comes through prayer. But again, it's not always the way that we want or hope, and it's not always in our timing, in our perfect timing, right? But there is provision. Because God frees Peter from the chains that bound him. Literally, the chains dropped right off of him. That can happen to us as well. But we need to believe that when we pray, that no matter what it looks like in your life, God is a God who loves to set His people free. If you remember what happens in Luke chapter 4, it's accounted elsewhere in Scripture, but a great passage to read. You can write that down and read it later in Luke chapter 4. It's it's one of my favorite passages because it's when Jesus starts His earthly ministry. Right? And we don't have to read it, but in Luke chapter 4, what happens is it says Jesus was just ministered to by the angels in the desert. Remember when our Lord Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan? And then after that, and he kept throwing Scripture right back at him, it says that Jesus was um, ministered to by the angels. Again, with the angels. But then it says what happens in Luke chapter 4. It says Jesus begins his ministry by going into the synagogue and teaching as he would. 
And it says, the scroll from Isaiah came and he opened it up and he read from Isaiah that great passage where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he goes to proclaim what Isaiah had written so many years ago about how he came to free the oppressed, to set free the prisoners, to break their chains, to bring food for the hungry, to bring sight to the blind. And he rolls up that scroll and he passes it down. And then he sits down and he says, Today, this is fulfilled in your presence. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus came to set the captives free. And that's what God did. Peter was in chains, he was in prison. Literally, God set him free. But I think we can all relate to that especially in a spiritual sense, when we may be bound by something, maybe there's a particular sin that you're struggling with, that you've been pleading with God over and over, God, would you just take this great temptation from me? But somehow God chooses to leave it in your life. Maybe you're not completely surrendering it. Maybe you're not in obedience to Him. I don't know. But the whole point is that God hears our prayers. There's power in that prayer. He does provide... But ultimately what God wants is to set His people free if we would just trust in Him. Peter trusted God to the point where he could fall asleep. The next thing he knows, an angel of the Lord appears and breaks the chains that once bound him. Isn't that a great picture of what God can do for us? No matter what it is that we may be bound by in this life on any particular day, God has the power to set us free. How do we tap into that power? It begins by praying. And then we trust. And then we trust in Him. And then finally, I'll talk about this. Um, he sent an angel. He sent an angel. Now twice we see in this story that God sends an angel. He sent an angel to set Peter free. And then at the end of the story, we see that He sends an angel to make sure that Herod is dead. Right? A very different task. Right? We don't know if it's the same angel or whatever. And again, you want to find out more about angels, come on Wednesday night. We're talking all about angelology in our theology class. I always love to get those plugs right in there. It's so good the way that God works that out, right? But anyway, so so God sends an angel. You know, scripture teaches very clearly. Maybe you've never thought about this, but scripture teaches very clearly, I believe. That God still can and does send angels to protect His people. To provide for something. To rescue us. Whatever it might be. We see it a lot in the New Testament. We see it happening. I mean, you see angels in the Old Testament too. But we see that God sometimes chooses to send an angel to do what He wants to happen. So we see it twice right here. He sent an angel to free Peter. And then he, the angel even talked to him and said, why don't you get dressed now? Because I'm freeing you, if you haven't noticed. So can you put your clothes on? Put your cloak on. I'm going to lead you out. Then it says that the gate to the city opens on its own accord. Wink, wink, right? Like it happens on its own. We know that God does that. The angel is making it all happen. And then the angel leaves. And it's, it's actually a funny part of the story too because Peter thought he was having another vision. Remember what just happened a couple of chapters ago in chapter 10? He has this crazy vision on the rooftop of the sheep coming down with the animals. He's probably like, not another vision. What's happening? 
But then when the angel leaves, it says he comes to himself. That means he recognizes, okay, this is really what happened. God sent an angel and I'm really free. So God sends an angel to do his work. And then again, at the end of the chapter, God sends an angel to kill Herod because he accepted the glory that was meant for God for himself. So here's a question for you, just to think about. Have you ever had an experience of God sending an angel to bless you, to help you, to rescue you? And what did that look like? We could probably spend hours sharing stories. Now, you know what? Personally, I can't really think of one. But does it mean that God never sent an angel to help me? No. He probably did. doesn't mean that I have to recognize it. There's other scriptures that talk about that, right? And there's one in Hebrews that talks about it. Be careful in what you're doing, how we treat others. Maybe God's sending an angel, you know. So God can do that. I want to make sure we understand that that is a part of God's character. It is something He chooses to do. Whether He brings about something, maybe a conviction through the Holy Spirit in our lives, or He speaks to us directly and and not audibly, but just moves us to do something, or He chooses to send an angel, we have to recognize that God is the one who is sovereign. So if He decides to do that, He can, and He has. We've seen it in Scripture. It's very interesting. So I want to make sure we don't skip over that part. The fact that an angel played a very big part in this story. And you know, um, uh, I've also noticed something very interesting here. I kind of mentioned at the beginning, but that funny part of the story where the, the, the maidservant, Rhoda, answer, goes to answer the door, but actually doesn't open it for Peter because she's like so crazy. I can't believe it's him. She hears his voice. So Peter's left knocking. Isn't it interesting that as they were praying, the answer to their prayer was staring them right in the face, but they didn't recognize it. I'll say that again. As they're praying, God sends the answer to their prayer, but they didn't even know it. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you where you're praying and maybe it's some time later you recognize, here's the answer to my prayer. It was there all along. So what does that mean to us? That when we pray, first of all, we should be praying expectantly. Because maybe we're praying and we're not really expecting it to happen. Like, God, I know you can do this. You probably won't. But if you could do this right they were praying with power they were praying but they couldn't believe it because as they're praying Rhoda's like he's here and they're like there's no way he's here because we're praying for him he's in jail right so of course they thought she was crazy but i think we can take something from that that that's a great part of that story that luke puts in there that could say you know what when we pray we should pray understanding there's power in that prayer we're connecting with the god of the universe we should pray expecting that God can do everything that He wants to do, right? So it should be that prayer that, God, I know that You can, but are You willing? We see that prayer in Scripture as well, right? God, I know that You can do this, but are You willing? Would You please? But then expect that God can do it. And if it's His will, that He will do it, right? So we should pray with expectation. But it's so funny, right? That as they're calling her crazy and they're just like, there's no way the answer to their very prayer is standing right there. So it reminded me of this very popular story. Many of you have heard it, but if not, it's a great story in Scripture. Uh, sorry, it's a great story about this principle in Scripture. And 
a lot of preachers use it, so it's very common to use in this type of situation. But here's how the story goes. But I think it's a, it's a great one to be reminded of. So there's this very religious guy, and he's at his house, and the floodwaters are coming. You know the story I'm talking about? The floodwaters are coming, and he recognizes that he needs to pray. So he climbed onto the roof of his house, and he prayed, and he trusted that God would rescue him from the flood. So a neighbor comes by in a canoe, and he says, the waters are soon going to overtake your house. Get in the canoe, and I'll bring you to safety. So what does the guy say? No, thanks, the religious man said. I've prayed to God, and I've trusted him. I'm sure he will save me. So a short time later, the police came by in their police boat. Never seen a police boat. I guess they have them. A police boat, and they say, the waters will soon be above your house. Hop in, and we'll bring you to safety. So what does the religious man say? No thanks. I prayed to God, and I'm trusting in Him, and I'm sure He will rescue me. So a little time later, a rescue service's helicopter comes. It hovers overhead. They let down a rope ladder, and they say from the, from the megaphone, the waters will soon be above your house. Climb the ladder. We'll bring you to safety. The religious man says, no thanks. I've prayed to God. And I'm sure he will rescue me. So all this time, the floodwaters continue to rise until soon they reached above the roof and the religious man drowned. When he arrived at heaven, he demanded an audience with God. Ushered into God's throne room, he said, Lord, why am I here in heaven? I prayed that you would save me. I trusted that you would rescue me from the flood. Yes, you did, my child, said the Lord. I sent you a canoe and a boat, and a helicopter, but you never got in. A popular story, maybe most of us heard that, but so appropriate for what we're looking at here that as they're praying, the answer to their prayer is knocking on the door. So let's make sure we don't get caught in that same situation. Yes, God's going to answer my prayer, but perhaps even in the form of another brother or sister, or perhaps an angel, God will bring that answer. So if we pray expectantly, we'll be looking for that. I always like that saying. It says, if you pray for rain, bring an umbrella. Is that right? (laughs) And so um, it's also important to know that God still amazes us. And I um, I hope that you haven't gotten to the point in your walk with the Lord where maybe it's just become a little too routine and you don't feel like God amazes you anymore. But you know what? God is an amazing God. And when we pray, we should expect awesome things because we pray to an awesome God. And so God still loves to amaze us. I could just picture him amazing those, wanting to amaze his church. He'd be like, look, you're still praying and I sent him. And they tell Rhoda, now you're crazy. So let's pray, recognizing that there's power. Pray with expectation, but also praying, knowing that God is is capable of answering those prayers and being willing and ready for Him to answer your prayers. I believe that God wants to do amazing things in this church. Why? Because it's His church, that's why. It's not really because of any of us. Not at all, really. Remember what we read last week? Why was the church growing? The hand of the Lord was upon them. That should be our prayer, first and foremost, that God's hand would be upon us. It would be His provision. 
So no matter what's happening in our lives, in our world, no matter what the government says we can and can't do, God is on the move. And He will do as He wants to do as His people are surrendered to Him. And all the time praying, but praying expectantly and believing in the power of the One who we are praying to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can even come before You now in prayer. Thank You for this great story. So many things in there, Lord. But we do recognize how Your church was praying. So if nothing else, help us to to take that away from uh, this important Scripture, that we are to be a church that prays. When we see a need, that first we pray. Pray that You would show us how to meet it. When there's no pressing need, that still we get together and we pray. We pray fervently. We pray without ceasing, as You call us to do. That prayer would just be a, become a part of who we are. It's a part of our DNA because we are the body of Christ. So God, move us individually to pray. To pray often. To pray, as You say, without ceasing. But also as a church. That we would be known as a church that prays. And God, we will look forward to seeing you do amazing things in and through us because it is you that is doing it. And, and all the while, God, we know that we need to trust. We need to be trusting and being obedient to you. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer that we can come into your presence. And even now, as we remember why we have that privilege, it is because of the cross of Christ. Help us to never forget that as well in Jesus' name. Amen.